Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I am the creator and host of this podcast. And if you're just joining us, I want to say welcome. Welcome on this journey as well, this life learning journey that you are just embarking on. You will find love, joy, and community here. Well, that's my hope. Inspiration as well and information. And if you are not new to this, to this journey or to this podcast, I continue to say welcome and thank you for all of the support and the stories and information that you share too. You know, that's really why I, I do this podcast because I know how important it is to have our stories shared into the broader world. Because so much of what we hear is within the school structure. And I know homeschooling is exploding right now. And it has been actually continuously growing over quite a few years, many, many years. But the stories within the home learning community, self-directed learning, unschooling, you know, those aren't always the stories that are published in those in the data and surveys that you read about learning and grade level and standards and curriculum and measurements. That information is usually always within the school setting, the classroom box, which does not look anything like home. So the environment, the circumstances, the variables are extremely different from what kids that are experiencing learning at home or out in real life, what that looks like. So I just want you to keep that in mind. I also want to let you know that there are other ways other than this podcast that I share a lot of the information you can find on here or the stories that are shared through here as well. So we have a clubhouse community. It's called Honey, I'm Homeschooling, and it's on the Clubhouse app. And we meet four times a week now and have some amazing discussions on homeschooling, unschooling, learning, childhood development, parenting, forms of education, all of those all of those areas and themes that really support lifelong learning. So there's a Saturday morning room at 8 a.m. Pacific time in North America, 9 a.m. Mountain time. There is a Monday morning room or Monday morning afternoon, 11 a.m. Mountain time, 10 a.m. Pacific time, which would be 1 Eastern. There's my Tuesday afternoon room, which is 4 p.m. Mountain time, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Remember, this is North American time zones. And there is now a Thursday room, and Allison Towner hosts the Thursday room, and it's focused on elementary age and younger, and that is at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. So you will find me on Tuesdays and Saturday mornings. Saturday, I'm with Liana Francisco, and on Mondays, it's Liana and Kelly that host the Monday room, and then Allison hosts the Thursday room, and it's free for anyone to join, and we have an open, ongoing discussion. So I really encourage you to go there. There's also our wonderful Patreon community. Go to patreon.com slash honeyhomeschoolingthekids, where I'm now starting a Q&A session once a month, so you can send in questions, and it's a live one, we can do live now. It'll be at the end of every month, as well as those bonuses, like any special downloads. Uh, those clubhouse rooms that I do record are always shared on there first or any other special bonus recordings. And it's your direct line to me as well. And then follow me on Instagram at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids and on Facebook where I feature lives and just continuing to share our home learning journey as well. So you can go to all of those places. 
So I just want to let you know about the guest that we have today, who is a fantastic guest. I love this interview. You guys, seriously, it was such a great interview. Dina Barcela is my guest today, and Dina is in is an integrative health coach. She's a holistic and integrative health coach, and what she does is she works with families and mothers all over the world to remove the the chore uh, from food and and to begin a new conversation, a different conversation around our journey with food. And what I learned from Dina is how this so carefully intertwines with unschooling. It is remarkable how it intertwines. And I think you are going to love this episode. And really the bottom line is we want to take, and actually I'm just going to bring up a few keywords that I think really lay the line for this when we're talking about food and learning as well and within our family home. I think we have this idea of food sometimes or even learning in or school uh, that it's, you know, a nemesis. It's laborious. It can be relentless. I don't know, parents, when you think about making a meal for dinner time or talking, you know, having your kids eat a certain kind of food, do you feel like it's a chore, like it's a fight, like sometimes it's relentless, it's laborious? <laughs> you know, I, I know many that feel this way going into things like mealtime. And we want to shift the conversation into one instead of, you know, my shoulders are scrunched up thinking all of all of that, of things being laborious or relentless, into trust, positivity, joy, and empowerment. That really shifts it, doesn't it? So we are talking all about how all of that intertwines and supports our family life, and our learning life as well. And we dig down into some of those things, those questions I think that many have. Like, what if my child's a picky eater? How do I get them to eat different foods? What if there's, you know, something that we hold around snacks or um, candy, especially Halloween? Halloween is coming up here. And I think we had a conversation about Halloween, trick-or-treating and candy. What do we do on Halloween night? I know some parents who limit the, the candy, some parents who say, just take, eat it all as much as you can that night. You know, others that have a plan. What are the, I don't want to even say rules of engagement, but what, how do we find what works for our family? Because it really is unique to every one of us. So we had a fantastic conversation around that. We answered quite a few questions and uh, we really talked about how we can shift our values and ideas and beliefs that maybe we had brought from when we were children or from our family or, or society in some ways into our home when it does or doesn't fit us. So I really welcome you to tune into this episode. And I also encourage you to go to Dina's website. It's D-E-E-N-A-H-B-A-R-S-E-L-A-H.com. And she actually has a fantastic um, freebie download that's called The Snack Hack, which I think really will help a lot of parents in the guide in, in getting into that snacking, how to hack snacking. And also she has a fantastic workshop coming up called The Joyful Family Meal. And you can find all of that information on her website. So I really encourage you to go there and check out what she offers. And her Instagram is fantastic. She has great reels and stories on 
what it all looks like in their home as well. So just go to Dina's Instagram as well, Dina Barcela as well, and um, check her out there. So enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited for today's episode because I have Dina Barcela joining me today, and I know this is going to be a great interview. Dina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Dina. If you don't already know of her, Dina is a holistic and integrative health coach who guides mothers and families all over the world to remove the chore from food and cultivate a more joyful, connected, easier, and confident relationship with food. She supported her own disordered eating, autoimmune conditions, and chronic digestive distress with shifts in diet, habits, and nervous system healing. Dina believes there's no one size fits all to family food and that by cultivating a system that works well for your unique family, you can let go of the shoulds that weigh you down. She lives in Encinitas, California with her husband and son and is a homeschooling mama. Previously, Dina worked in the corporate world in areas of organizational psychology and people development. All right. Welcome, Dina. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much. So maybe we can begin a little bit around who you are and how you came to the path that you're on now. So you're a homeschooling mom and a business owner. You know, for me, and I know you're an integrative holistic coach, a a health coach. And for me, I can see how those align. I really get that. But maybe if, if anyone doesn't, if you could speak to some of the values or beliefs that guide your life today that bring all of that together. Sure. Yes. So as, as a business owner, as a homeschooling and really unschooling mom and doing the work that I do around food, I mean, I've been a health coach now for 12 years, I think it's coming up on, um, after, uh, after being in the corporate world. And what I noticed time and time again in myself, in what I was looking for when it came to regulating my weight, um, which usually meant losing weight, um, supporting autoimmune conditions, supporting chronic digestive issues, whatever I was trying to work on with my body. And then anytime I was supporting any women in their health and whatever their goals were, everybody always wants, just tell me what to do. Give me the prescription, give me the diet, give me the list, give me the should, tell me what I should not eat. Not so much about tell me about all the things I can do, but more tell me what I shouldn't be doing. And we're so wired in our culture for discipline, for restriction, for, for pulling things away, because we think that that's going to solve the problem. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I see that so much in parenting. I see that in homeschooling. I see that in, you know, I saw it in the corporate world all the time when it came to working on someone's performance, all the things that we take away from people versus looking at that whole person, how their unique body is wired what is their, you know, what is their ancestry that absolutely informs what foods may feel good in their body? What is their, what is their nervous system? Like, what is their temperament? Like, what are they drawn to? What do they enjoy in life? And, you know, on the unschooling front, when we look at our kids and we see, well, what are their passions? What are their interests? What do they love doing? And let's, let's bring in more of that. Let's see how all of the different topics can integrate into 
how our child is naturally wired. And when it comes to food, there's so much overlap there because like I said, we're so used to removing things and taking things away that we don't really trust that our bodies and ourselves, our whole selves can give us information about how we should eat, when we should eat, what we should eat. And, you know, without all that, it constantly becomes a chore, just like homeschooling can constantly feel like a chore. Work can constantly feel like a chore and just a list of to do's or to don'ts. But when we can look at the whole person and when I started to be able to do that for myself and I learned, you know, some different modalities, I learned more about how my body is wired and how I was basically you know, met with resistance all the time, like pushing a boulder up a hill, trying to take on all these different diets, all these different protocols, these dietary regimens, cleanses, you know, the the list is long of all the people out there that are trying to convince us of a prescriptive way of eating. Mm. And, Mm. you know, there's good nuggets in all of it, but we have to be able to learn about ourselves. And I think as a homeschooling mom and as, you know, really leaning into more of this unschooling, child-led, natural learning approach, it's mirrored for me every day just how much I can observe my child. I can observe my six and a half year old son and see what he naturally loves and create more of that. And we can do that with food. There isn't like as mothers and there's just all of these rules and all of these things we have to go by that just limit us so much. And that was, that was my own personal experience with food. Um, you know, just to share a little bit personally, I, I grew up in an environment surrounded by women, my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, my cousins, my friends, mothers, everybody I knew I grew up, I'm 41. So I grew up in the eighties the and nineties Everyone I knew, every mother, every woman I knew was on a diet or not. They were talking, you know, they were needing to <laughs> get back on it. that diet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm off my diet. I need to get back on it. I'm being bad. I'm just going to indulge. And I just, that was, that was the how of food that I grew up with. That was, you know, like as we learn more about children and what seeps in. Yes, there are certain specific words that will stand out, words that people who we loved and trusted as children said over and over again. So that seeped in as a rule or, you know, something to live by. But it's also just the experience of it. Like, yes, I remember these women always talking about the food they were eating, the food they shouldn't be eating, the diet they should be on. But it was the feeling of as a woman, food should be restricted. There should be rules around it. Um, the heaviness of it all is the how that I grew up with. And that's where I feel like we can create an environment around the how for ourselves and for our children to create a much stronger and more positive connection with food. And, you know, for me, that that ended up developing into an eating disorder. When I was a teenager, I started uh, to be bulimic when I was in my teenage years and, and on and off through my twenties until really my early thirties. And it was, it was a go-to for 
release, for processing things, for shedding. I, I didn't really know how to process. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I know that that's an extreme example, but disordered eating is not uncommon. And we don't just want to bring in these positive habits to avoid disordered eating for us, our children, right? We want, we want to take it to that next level and that's that next level, like with homeschooling. We don't just want to make it that learning isn't awful, you know, that learning isn't just this, this negative experience. We want to make it be this really positive, connected, joyful experience that is empowering. And I, I think food can absolutely be the same. Mm. I, everything you said, I'm just like nodding my head. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, positive, joyful, and empowering were those last three words that I think truly are also, and, and but, but first also trust that yeah. really are the defining, you know, are the defining terms or vocabulary or the foundations of um, what I hear, what I, what I interpreted from what you were telling me about. Um, yeah. So positivity, joy, empowerment, and trust. And it really does begin with that trust factor, doesn't it? And how we, you know, really had the example that you gave, how it was set up for you from a young age that ourselves and food cannot be trusted. And therefore right. it had to be restricted or limited and watched carefully and then monitored. And, you know, I've never actually heard it described how you described when you were talking about bulimia and how for you it was a shedding. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Could sure. You explain that a little bit more. Yeah. And that's something that I, I really learned in recent years that we all have different numbing behaviors. We all have things that we do, yes. hopefully, um, hopefully less, hopefully the more we have awareness and the more we, the more we trust our bodies and the mm-hmm. messages we get from our bodies, we can do that. We can reduce those, but you know, food is a very common numbing behavior. So, so there's this phrase, emotional eating that people use. Right. I, I'm on a tirade to get us to stop using that term because when people say emotional eating, what they refer to is this, um, you know, that you're eating your feelings, that you feel sad, so you're eating ice cream. You feel frustrated, so you're whatever it might be. But when we just think of this term emotional eating, what is the opposite of emotional eating? Um, The opposite of emotional eating is, I don't know, like... Just stoic, just, yeah. just like <laughs> as, as if you, there's, there's no emotion. There's no, right. there's no yeah. anything having to do with that connection to food. And so for me, when I was younger and what I know was modeled for me as well, was that food could just, food can fill you up in such a way that you don't have to feel what's there, mm-hmm. whether it's sadness, loneliness, fear, uh, anger, you know, any emotions that are there food can provide a way for you to process that because what is food? It's something we put in our mouths, we chew, we swallow. It's a, it's a very sensory experience. Yes, It, it fills yes. our bellies. It, you know, it, it, there's a lot to what happens when we put food in our mouths and in our bodies and all of those cravings, all of those, you know, anything you're drawn to when it comes to food gives you information about what might be going on. Right. So people often will gravitate towards something 
crunchy, like chips or pretzels or crackers. When there's boredom, because it gives you something to process in your mouth. When there's anger, when there's kind of angst, it gives you something literally to chew on and like, you know, chomp down on. And I've never thought about that, but yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's really cool. Like cravings are, um, it's amazing information. Yeah. And it gives you really good clues about what's going on, you know, and, or something that's like a beef jerky or, um, something that's chewy, like dried, dried mango, you know, are are you, do you, that also is a lot of work for the jaw. Like, what are you working through? What are you trying to process? Right. And popcorn or popcorn. Right. Exactly. That's an, it's great. And then that's kind of airy and you can keep doing it over and over again. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's another one where it's, it was what was framed as like a great diet food because it didn't have a lot of calories and you could, and not a lot of fat I'm doing air quotes. Mm. <laughs> and you, you know, you could, you could eat a whole bucket of that without maybe feeling all that heavy. Cause it's just a lot of air, but what is that when we're drawn to something that we can just keep eating, keep processing, keep putting in our mouths over and over again? Why do we feel like we want to do that? And it's just, it's just information. There's no judgment here. And this is where the trust comes in. It's just information that you can ask yourself, huh, I wonder why I'm drawn to that. I wonder why I'm noticing my child is like continually going to the snacks over and over again. I wonder why they're drawn to that specific thing. You know, we can ask those questions. And so for me, you know, with the bulimia, it was, it was often a filling up so that I didn't have to feel those emotions. And then it was a big release because, you know, vomiting is a big release and I could feel better. I could feel like, okay, I got that out because for me growing up, and I know a lot of people can relate to this. I did not have a great model, a great understanding of how to process emotions, how to feel safe, how to trust that what I was feeling was good and, and trustworthy. Ultimately, you know, I was labeled all I'm, I'm, I would fit into the category of highly sensitive. I'm a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. I've always been that way, but as a kid growing up, I, and through my teenage years, I was often said, told you're too sensitive, buck up, get a thicker skin, you know, just deal with it. And my highly sensitive nature had a hard time doing that. So how did I navigate that? I found a numbing behavior that was modeled for me as such. And then a big release to, to, to get those emotions out because I didn't have, I didn't have an effective positive outlet to do that. And when I bring these things up about my upbringing and what was modeled, I always like to, to say, so clearly that it's because my mother and my grandmother and all of the women that modeled this also didn't have um, a, a positive way of processing their emotions. Yes. So it's a, it's, I don't believe it's anybody's fault, but I do believe that when we can tune into these things, it's our turn to change that tide, to change mm-hmm. course for ourselves and for our kids. Right. Our turn to change the tide. Absolutely. Yeah. Because so much of what we, I mean, sometimes what we do is reactionary and we model or follow or do choose what we know or what we've grown up in. And and it absolutely is passed down and our parents did the same. That's what they knew and we're familiar with. And, and, And until we get to the point where we choose to turn the tide, we're like, okay, this is not 
supporting me and serving me any longer or my family. We need to change and do something different. And this is where we're going to go. So yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's fascinating. And I know you talked about this in the beginning, but the correlation, I think, and and again, that trust, right? That foundation of trust, how it does correlate to unschooling. And in some, how we see our children and how you were talking about the term emotional eating and how we can look at it instead and shift it to, it's just information. There's no judgment around it. Yeah. And and wondering why, you know, why are we drawn to this certain food or or this, you know, or this um, time or, or whatnot. But then, you know, then I think of unschooling or homeschooling when some parents, you know, have that, well, you know, my child keeps doing this all the time and it's really, bo- I think they need, they should be doing this you know, they should really be Uh sitting longer and working on this workbook so we can get this done because this is the most important. Or they should, you know, I don't want them playing so many video games. Like they should, they shouldn't be playing it at all. Like why, why do they keep asking for the screen time or why do they keep asking for this game? Uh And, you know, again, it's the, okay, it's information for us. Like in, it's a gift in that way. You know, we're being provided with this information and again, the no judgment and wondering why. Yeah. Okay. What is it? There's no judgment around it. It's just, you know, the why and giving us that perspective as well. So yeah, that's so clear. <laughs> Thank you so it much. It is. So clear. And, and we're not just, you know, for most of us, how we were brought up and what there's so many messages in our culture about, you know, shut it down, mm-hmm. <laughs> take, mm-hmm. take it away. It's, it looks like it's a problem. Let's just remove it. Yes. And we have yes. to question why does this, why, why does this feel like it's a problem and what is this about? And just observe. We, we have to be able to observe feelings that come up inside us, things that we see, observing our children, observing behaviors. That has to be step one. We cannot try to fix something that we don't even know what it is. We can't, we can't insert a solution because it seems like it should be taken away. It seems like it's a problem. And we, this is just so pervasive in, in food. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so let's talk a little bit more about food. Um, You know, and I said to you, this is a word that parents can, for parents, food, when we say that and frame it around family and our kids, for some, it can be like, oh yes, this is great. It's enjoyment. But for many, it brings up almost an anxiety. Absolutely. Frustration and those like, oh, this is a huge chore. Yes. So you know, how, and I know you work with a lot of families that do, you know, that are working through that as well. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe we can start, um, maybe I should, I should give it to you. Where would you like to start with that? <laughs> because there is, you know, I, and I did, I did receive, I'm, we're going to address some of the questions that I received in as well for Dina. Um, and there's many, the, you know, common themes around many of the questions. So I'd say, you know, for example, there are usually it's around fears or or frustrations Mm -hmm. that we have with our children around food. So I know we've talked about trust and the big thing around that. Did you want to elaborate more on how to frame going into the idea of food with our families? Sure. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. The, The sentiment for most families is that it is 
like their nemesis. <laughs> that yes. they just, yes, that's you know, the if, word. Yes. If, if <laughs> someone says, if, if, if one person asks me, one person in this family says to me, what's for dinner ever again, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. It's just, it feels like such labor. Yes. And yes, also yes. like, let's be honest. It is, it is every day. It's multiple times a day. Right. We have to eat. Food has to happen. This is not something like, you know, you don't have to homeschool. You don't, there's a lot of things right. that you don't yeah. have to do that you don't have to take on in life. Food has to happen. It doesn't mean that you have to cook it. It doesn't, there's, there's many ways that food can happen, but you know, we need to eat survival. We need yeah. to eat. Yeah. So for so many people, it feels relentless. And I think that's the thing that comes up where it's just like the image of, oh my gosh, I just finished putting away the food. I just did the dishes. I'm just leaving the kitchen and my child is coming <laughs> around the bend. There's saying, something like, else to eat. <laughs> exactly. And so it's, it's all of those memes and there's so many reels and TikToks and there's so <laughs> many things out there that like really play this up. So on one hand, yeah, it's funny. Like we can bring in some lightness. We can laugh about it because you know, it's there and, and we, we can, you know, we can come together with that, but we also need to question, um, why does this feel like so much work? You know, mm -hmm. each individual listening to this, you know, I, I implore you to ask, why does this feel like so much work for me? And actually, you know, pause this podcast and write it down or do um, a voice memo in your phone. What are the things that are, that, you know, if, if you have the mental load of all things related to food, write down every single task, every single should, every single rule. And that is part of it that I just want to outline here a little bit. These, these food rules and these food shoulds, because so when things feel like they are, like they're met with a lot of resistance. They're just really hard. We are usually living that thing according to someone else's rules, right. things that may not be your own shoulds right. from, you know, where do these rules and shoulds come from, from your home of origin, from your pediatrician, from a blog you read, from a book you read, from a Pinterest you know, graphic from an Instagram post from another mom on the playground or someone you follow on Instagram that shared something that works for their kids, but you can't imagine that works for you, but should it work for you? Are you, are you not doing it right? If you're not doing that thing, right. you know, there's something wrong with you because exactly. not, you're trying to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we have to, we have to kind of brain dump that part of it and look at that because we need to actually see, oh, okay these are all the things that I constantly have circulating in my mind and in my calendar. And, you know, these are the list of shoulds and rules that I have. And so then you have to ask yourself with each one of those things, is it true? Is it your own? Does it actually apply to your unique family, to your rhythm, right? So if your home if you're an unschooling parent and you're home a lot of the day or you're you're just flexible, like you can be home, the way you're going to do food is going to be really different than someone who leaves the house all day and doesn't come back together with the family until the evening, let's say, or, you know, all different types of shift work or, you know, all of these things have to be taken into account because there's no one size fits all. And where we're most of us are still married to these old models, these things that do not apply to our lives in 2021, these things that don't apply to our lives 
as homeschooling parents or what whatever however many kids you have the the different food needs food preferences intolerances sensitivities allergies all of it and this is where we it becomes such a chore because we take these prescriptive ideas and then we just apply them to our family and this one doesn't want to eat what i made for dinner this one has these food allergies. This one wants to eat candy all day. Like whatever the different things are that come into the mix, we have to we have to do the brain dump and then take a step back and observe what is actually the challenge. Because right. for most of us, the challenges, I mean there's there's overlap for sure, but there's uniqueness as well in each individual family and that's where, you know, when I'm working with families, there's always this moment of oh, I never thought about it that way. That is something that's going on in my family and I can approach it from this perspective instead. So we we have to be able to, you know, to take that step back and observe what's going on in our families. And then we need to challenge each of those rules and be okay with letting go of a good percentage of those. Because I guarantee that when you honor your own family's rhythm and needs and, you know, we'll get into some other tips there, but once you're able to do that, you can take a whole bunch of those things off the list because you realize that they, they don't actually apply to you. And there's a lot around dinner time. Yes. That is such a battle for families that we can spend some time talking about, you know, unpacking some of that, because that is one that I think when we talk about family food, people, what I notice is people immediately think about meal planning. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like where their mind goes. I what hate will meal I planning. Make and, yeah. Well, yeah, everything regarding meal planning and then dinner time. And they tell me that like dinner time is total chaos. No one wants to sit at the table. No one wants to eat what I want, what I make. And, you know, this is a little tough love, but when we are, when we have the same experiences over and over again, we have to ask, are my expectations reasonable? Right. My expectations (laughs) apply, like, does this work with my family? I have this expectation that I'm going to make dinner and everybody's going to eat it and we're going to sit down at the table and have this joyful family connection during dinner time. But instead, this one wants to play. This one doesn't want to eat what I'm making. Like, and it's total chaos. And then what happens? You yourself get no enjoyment out of that meal. Mm -hmm. And therein lies one of the major reasons why food feels like such a chore because expectations are misaligned. And for you, the whole thing is just work. And then it feels like no one is grateful for the work you put in. That's where the, the relentless, like, why do I keep, I have to keep doing this thing over and over again. That is just, it's not working. Right. And you feel invalidated or yes. Yeah. yeah, Not appreciated. For your time, for your effort, for your work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So let's maybe if you can give, you know, it's funny. I just want to say quickly, one of the things, because we were talking about stepping back, challenging, you know, your expectations or your beliefs and then letting go. I think letting go is one of the hardest parts of it all it is. as well. It but is. Maybe could you give an example? So let's let's use um, dinner time as an example. And if sure. you could maybe walk us through, um, say we have there's an expectation around dinner time. Maybe that's like I make something and 
everyone seems to complain about what I make. And I just want everyone just to sit and eat what I make for dinner. But mm-hmm. there's always somebody who wants something else or won't eat what's on the plate. And then it ends up being in a you know fight. And then, and then they come back and ask for food because they didn't eat their meal. Right. So maybe we can use that example. Yes. How would you walk a parent through who's feeling that upset around mealtime, around dinner time? Mm-hmm. And how could they step back? How can they challenge their, ask, you know, why? What's, what's the information here? And then learn to let go. Yeah. So we do have to take a step back a little bit and look at what is going on at, during those hours of the day in your individual home. So typically what happens is it's the end of the, it's, you know, nearing the end of the day. We put a lot of pressure on dinner because for some reason we still uphold this thing that like dinner is the time for connection and family gathering, all a family gathering conversation and all of the nourishment. For some reason, we don't, we don't put nearly as much emphasis on other meals or just eating opportunities is how I say it doesn't, whether it's a square meal or a snack or whatever food is food, the body does not discriminate as to when you have vegetables or protein or whatever you're getting in. The body doesn't, the body doesn't care when those things come into the body, but for some reason we put a lot of pressure on dinner time as the optimal time for that, that well-rounded meal. Right. But it's also the time when it's the end of your day, it's getting nearing the end of your kid's day, and they may be feeling, especially younger kids, if bedtime is pretty close to dinner afterwards, there's that feeling of like, oh, this this day is ending, you know, all of all of the jokes and all of the memes about like kids coming out of the bedroom over and over again. They they just want more connection. They want more of their day. They want, they want to play more, they want to have more of it. They don't want to just surrender to sleep, but they know that. After dinner typically is like bath time, get ready for bed, all of that. So there's just such, it's like a pressure cooker on this one meal. There's so much pressure because we're, our expectations are so high when typically the bandwidth is so low. Hmm. For for most parents, it's, it's the end of that day. You just want to get it done and move along and Put the kids to bed and then have your own time. Your and own again, time. this is, yes. yeah, yeah. This is yeah, more like, like yes. you know, for younger kids, but yeah. with teenage kids, it's that, you know, that will look different. But yeah, we we want to move through this and we wanna we wanna be able to check these boxes. And so this is where if connection feels like it's so important, how can you focus more on connection? If nutrition feels so important, and there's no right or wrong here, it's just that it has what is it for you? If nutrition and getting those well-rounded, you know, diversified foods and different things into the body is really important, let's think about where you can do that otherwise in the day without as much pressure at the end of the day. If everybody sitting around being together is important, how might you reconfigure where you eat and how you eat? You know, this is where people bring in like food can be like a buffet option, right? So this is this okay. is something that I, that I teach a lot. I, I run a program called the Joyful Family Meal. And in that, what I what I share is just kind of like a recipe for what works, what I find works for most families. And there's a couple little guidelines there, a, couple, a, a list of things that you can that you can look at. One of them is 
make sure that there's something that every individual in the family likes. It's food. Food is an invitation, just like the learning environment that we do in unschooling, right? It's in, we we're providing an invitation and it's up to our children to go with it or not. And then as we keep observing what they're going with, we get to learn more and we get to provide invitations that are more appropriate for them, that will, that will foster more deep learning, right? The same thing goes for our mealtime. So it's not inviting if you make something that you think is going to be a great meal because you saw it on some you know, meal planning list, right? Exactly. You just saw it somewhere. Some, someone shared like, Oh, I made this meal and it was a hit for my family. And then you go and you get the ingredients and you take the time to cook it (laughs) and you pour into it. And then people don't want to eat it. And typically that happens when it's more like one pot meals. Right. Yeah. So you're, no other choices. Yeah. And, and also like, it, it might be hard for a child to, or someone in the family, I don't want to even just say child, this happens with adults all the time, to pick out certain things from it, right? Because then the sauce is on it. It's all flavored that way. So my recommendation is number one, every, each person, when you serve a, when you serve a meal, the invitation is, is that there's always something that anybody, that each individual person would like. So if you know that this kid likes sweet potatoes, they're sweet potatoes. This one all will eat carrots. And you know, then people will say to me, but it, it, it changes. They ate carrots yesterday and they're not eating carrots today. Okay, so that's just information. It doesn't mean you still can't offer it. And we'll get to that in a minute with, um, I know picky eaters is always a question, but mm-hmm. yeah. So there's that. And then my recommendation too, is to have different dishes on the table versus the one pot meal approach. Now, if there's a one pot meal, if there's chili or soup or some dish that you make, and when I say one pot, I just mean like the whole thing is cooked together. Right, like pasta bake. A pasta, exactly. If there's like kind of a sure thing, you know that your family loves it, go for it. But if you're trying to, you know, what we're trying to do here is create a positive and connected relationship with food, an empowered relationship with food. So an open invitation provides provides an avenue for that. It provides the path for everybody to say, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of the chicken and a little bit of carrots, and I'm going to make my plate the way I want. And what ends up happening is you'll notice that each individual family member will arrange their plate differently. So this is where you're also not scooping and serving. You're not putting food on, on your kids' plates. They are putting food on their plate. Mm, right. Yeah. Because they get to choose. They're choosing how much. If you notice over and over again that a child is just taking so much and never eats that, then you can help them with that. You know, I, I, I'm noticing that you're taking a lot of carrots the past couple of nights. You haven't been eating as much of this. So what I'm going to, let's take a little bit less, but it's here for you and you can always have more. Mm, right. So right. that the, the invitation is there, but like So I'll give a real world example. My kid is very much a tinkerer. So he's always building, he's always constructing. That's what he does with his food. And so the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. And you'll notice that when you're observing how your kids are just in their natural environment, learning, doing, playing, they can bring that into their relationship with food as well. And that's what makes it their own. And that's what takes less it's there's less shoulds and there's less rules for them because they get to make it their own and time and time again what families tell me is that 
I can't believe it. I've never seen them eat those things before, but now they're eating it or they asked for more, or then they wanted to help prepare it. Right. Like, because good begets good, like the, the positive relationship begets more positive relationship and it gets our kids into the mix, into the kitchen, not just for baking. Baking is super fun, but you know, that's a common thing that parents will bake with their children. Mm -hmm. And it continues to reinforce like, this is, this is fun for you when you're, when there's a dessert at the end of it. Right. But, you know, pull up a chair, pull up a stool at the stove, sprinkle in the cumin, do this, grate some, grate some things, get some, you know, knives that feel appropriate for your kids and different tools and get them in the mix in a way that is empowering. And there's such joy that comes when they get to be part of the meal, the meal prep, and then they get to eat what they made. And there's so many ways you can play with this, right? You can, starting at an earlier age than most of us think kids can prepare a meal. They can prepare their breakfast. They can make their lunches, right? This is such a chore because we're taking it all on and we think it's all ours. And it, it certainly does not have to be. And that can start with two-year-olds, with three-year-olds. There's, there's, there's so much that, that little kids can do. And then they make it their own and just let them make it their own. My son will build and construct. He'll take sweet potatoes and like whatever spread we might have on the table and make a tower and then put things in it and arrange like he's, he's basically doing like what he does with magnetiles or Legos, but at the table with the food ingredients. And, you know, when, and this is like where people say like, well, we don't play with food. We can't play with our food. Yeah. It's not playtime. It's time to eat. It's dinner time. Yes. And no wonder it feels like so heavy. Sure. Yeah. And and who yeah. wants to stay at the table if that's yeah. what it feels like? Yeah. No, so, especially if our day is framed around joy and play and passion and then meet and then mealtime is all of a sudden work and a yes. chore. Yeah. Such yeah. a good point. Exactly. So I've never, you know, I it's yeah, I'm like, of course. Yes. <laughs> As you're talking about, I'm like, yeah. You know, and of course I think of all of the ideas, you know, well, first how you said, you know, food and those mealtimes are we really play out and live it like we do our life. So, you know, I always think of how my mom would always say, my my husband and I, the difference between when we would eat and my husband is very like he separates his food and eats one thing at a time, like kind of yep. compartmentalizes it, you know, like yes. okay, this is my meat and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, here's this, my vegetables and it's separate. It's not. And how I would, my mom's comp, she said, even when I was little, I would play hockey with my food. So I kind of push it around <laughs> and, you know, play with it a little bit before yeah. I put it in my mouth and, you know, kind of like, and that's like my pros, my thinking process. I kind of like, you know, have it all out before me and I push it or play with it and see how it works together and it doesn't. And then I'll try a little bit and then I'll try something else until I've decided on my path that I want to go <laughs> kind of thing. And it's, oh yeah. And, and then I think of my kids in that way too. It's so, yeah, it's so true. I've never, you know, now I'm like visualizing it mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it's very, very clear. And then and then absolutely how our ideas that we've passed down, especially in our culture and families around mealtime and food, the whole, we're talking about letting our kids make their own plates and how it's, you know, I, you know, you hear the, I'll dish it out for you. No, I, I will yeah. scoop that for you. And then when they don't eat it, why aren't you eating the carrots that I gave you? 
Right. Now, why aren't you, you or you just have to take one bite? Yes. The the one bite thing. And, you know, finish your entire plate. You can't leave until all of your food is done. Yeah. 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 I think the finish your entire plate, I hear less now. I mean, I I, I think there's still people that that still exists. I think that's a little bit more from when we were kids. Our our generation. Yeah. 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 And then I think now it's like, you have to try something, you know, yes. I, I see a yes. lot of things that really recommend saying to your kid, you have to try three bites or you have to try a new food. How will you know if you like it or not? And right. what, what do you say to that? <laughs> what I say to that is first of all, to the adult, how often are you trying new foods? Right. How often are do you see something? And could you imagine the reverse? If someone said to you, you have to try a bite just one bite. And I had this experience actually with my son. It was like, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago or something where he went into the kitchen and he cut up, he, we have that, that, um, thing where you cut an apple into wedges, the thing that you press down, you know, and the core comes. So he cut an apple and then he sprinkled some cinnamon on it. He was just making a whole creation and he put it on a plate and he brought it over to me. And in that moment, I really I really didn't want an apple and um, I don't remember exactly why, but I didn't want any apple. And he was like, mama, just try it. I made this. And I said, "Um, no, I don't prefer that right now, which is language that you can use to just instead of, it's like, I don't like that blech. I don't want to eat that. It's just, oh, okay. You don't prefer that right now. And it it gives, it's, it's not a forever statement. Right. Right. But I just said, I don't, you know, I don't prefer that right now. And he said, but mama, you have to try it. I made it. And And then he was taking the apple and like kind of putting it towards my mouth. And it was a very uncomfortable experience. I really did not Mm -hmm. like it. And, Mm -hmm. and I want, you know, the, for the listeners to, to imagine what it's like if someone says you have to taste something, you have to try it just one bite. And what if you really don't want to eat that, or it just doesn't appeal to you in that moment, right? We, I, 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 I don't recommend it. That is that is my take. Food is an invitation. It is there at any time for people to try. And what you will find when you approach it as food is an invitation, there's much more likelihood that it will be tried. It may right. be tried at the end of a meal. It may be tried on the third time you put it out. It may be tried in a way that you would have never imagined to pair you know, two foods or whatever that might be. But when you, when you release the attachment to the outcome, right, you, you, the meal is there, the food is the invitation, you release attachment at that point to what comes, and then you focus on your digestion, your meal, your experience, right? Because that's where we, we just put ourselves at the bottom of the list. It's like a means to an end with this meal. And then we forget that like, oh yeah, we're eating. And then that's where we're like the eating the scraps over the counter at the end of a meal. And we wonder why we don't have such a positive relationship with food, hmm. right? right? And so yeah. it's the how of it all. It's, it's yes. what is being modeled? What can you show? And so, you know, it's, it's taking that time to, to present your plate, to put it together. And a lot of parents will tell me my kid takes forever at the meal, at the table, right? Like <laughs> I, we just got to, and, and usually this is also around dinner time, right? Where we want to yeah. move Get along in the night night. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of kids take a really long time and maybe that's because they're doing what you did. Like 
the hockey, you know, like I'm just yeah. going to arrange it. I'm going to figure it out or, or it's I'm a slow eat. eat. I, that, that was me taking a long a slow time eater. eating yep. slow. Yep. 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 Exactly. And then some, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's like my kid will only stay at the table for three minutes and then they want to get up and go do something else. So that's information. If that's happening every night, but you're still trying to get everybody to sit at the table, notice that that's the pattern. And then I ask, and usually the answer is no, but I always, I ask like, does that happen at breakfast? Does that happen at lunch? Because typically there's a lot less pressure around what we're doing at other times of day. My son will spend very long amounts of time eating breakfast. It's like, he just got a whole night's sleep. Then he got, he came up and he went to play and is fulfilled. And then he gets to sit down and he's hungry. So he's, then he, it's like, I want more food. I want more food. He eats a lot at the beginning of the day. My, my son definitely front loads his food. So this is something else that, you know, we can observe and, and then we can take the pressure off. We can start to take the pressure off of what happens kind of downstream at the end of the day, because we can notice, oh, okay, they they do actually sit for meals. They just don't want to sit for dinner. Well, they do actually take, you know, eat and eat a wide variety of things. It just happens more before two o'clock in the afternoon than after that. So it's observing those things. And then the other piece just, you know, there's, we could talk about dinner for hours, but the other thing with dinner mm-hmm. is, often what happens right before dinner um, when it comes to whoever's prepping dinner and then kids often coming in during that time wanting to eat something. And yeah, it's like, well, no dinner's coming. So wait, you're going to have dinner right away. It's not snack time. It's not time to eat right now. We're going to be at Mm -hmm. the table soon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, think about that. <laughs> think about what that, what that message is. No, you can't eat now because we're going to be eating soon, but the child is coming in. And, and if it's also predictable, if it's pretty much every day around four o'clock, four thirty, that your children want to eat something, then they're hungry what would it look like? Time, right? They're hungry, <laughs> right? It's their, they're playing, it's their afternoon. And, 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 Maybe dinner still happens later, but then there's even less pressure on dinner. What would it look like to have food out that you would feel really good about your kids eating and just have it out there on the island, on the counter, at the ready, or wherever they go to get food and trust that the options that you bring into the home, this is, this is a big one. It's what food are you bringing into the home? If there's a, if you're often saying, no, you can't eat that now, that's not for now, that's for a treat, that's a that's a dessert or that's this or that's that. If you find yourself saying that a lot, especially for the younger kids, that message is confusing because it's there, it's food, but But it's not food that we're allowed to eat right now. Right, right. So we have to play around with that. You know, what what is the invitation you're creating in the kitchen? The invitation that we're creating. Okay. So, um, you know, it's interesting because... And that reframes it because the question I was going to ask you is, well, if we have the food out for them to take when they're hungry, then they'll, you know, when will they learn to eat at mealtimes or, you know, that whole idea of when will they learn that structure of, yeah, exactly. Like it, breakfast time is breakfast time and lunch is lunch and dinner is dinner. And that's not the way the world works that you can just have what you want when you decide that you're hungry kind of thing. Yeah. Well, To that, I say that there are so many things in childhood 
And Robin, I would say you're probably even more of an expert on this, but there are so many things in childhood that are that season, right? So if you have like a five, six, seven year old, you know, that stage of life is a very like self-centered stage. It's, it's very focused on me. It's not as much like the collective and what everybody else is doing. And so I'm hungry. I want to eat this thing right now. That's, that's completely developmentally appropriate. Right. Right. And, and, you know, all through those years, being able to know what is, what is the norm? What's going on with the brain? What's happening there? And then as we get older, we are out in the world with many other people and many other experiences and many other influences. And there's, there's a lot of fear for parents around, if I don't do this now, if I don't, if my kid doesn't eat greens, if my kid doesn't eat, you know, like the list of foods that you think your should your kids should be eating and the ways in which they should be eating. Whole if that's yeah. <laughs> all of the shoulds, right? If yeah. it, it, we put it all on us as if we are like the end all be all for experiences our children will have in their lifetime. Right, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think about all the foods I never ate as a kid. I grew up, it was like a very mainstream food. I grew up in Philadelphia. Like I, I, I had never eaten avocado. I had never eaten most, you know, ethnic cuisines. I had never had sushi, like all of these things that I'd never seen before. And then and then I went abroad and then I lived in New York city for 10 years where, you know, like best food in the world. There's like all, mm-hmm. there's so many influences and you can trust that your child will be influenced positively, negatively, you know, where we're just <laughs> going to be influenced by things in our world. And, and it's not just up to us to create that. But what I think is the best thing we can do is honor the season that we're in at any given time. And if that looks like you don't even do dinner, right? Maybe dinner is just like, there's a couple snacks out because there was a, a lot of that nutrition and a lot of that eating already happened in the day. Maybe dinner is like sitting in a circle on the floor while your kids are playing and they're taking bites. And then they're, you know, they're, they're getting those needs met. They still want to play. They still want to do other fun things in their day. And you're telling them, no, they have to stay at the table. My feeling is that we can trust that that's not going to be what our kids are going to always think is the way. But who says it can't be the way? Right, yeah. Who says it has to be the right, only right way is sitting at the table at six o'clock. Right. I I, I don't even, I think that doesn't work for so many people, many adults. Like if we really like let that sink in, does it feel really good to you as the adult? Do you, do you love this experience? Like, are you so, <laughs> are you attached to the experience of between, you know, five and six o'clock cooking, cooking the meal in a way that feels stressed and interrupted and all these other things and then serving it and having it be thankless, having it be, you know, whatever it might feel like for you. Right. A big Where, where can we expand that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much is our expectations and then think like, why, why, why do I think this way? (laughs) Really? What is it really me that wants this? Or is this just expectations that have been formed in my life or in my mind that I shoulds again, the whole long list of shoulds. It is. And sometimes it's like, sometimes it's a, it's our parents voice, you know, Mm -hmm. just coming in or, or what if we do this, but then we like, my mother-in-law or whoever like comes into the home and just is 
like aghast, you know, what is going on here? And, and what would it be like to just own how you do food, how to create more of an invitation, to create more freedom, to allow, what would it look like for your kids at any point to just walk into the kitchen and take something that met their needs? Right. Would that be okay with you? Right. And there's just, there's, and, and there isn't any right or wrong here, but the, the thing is we have to, we have to get into it, into how it works for our families and what feels true to us. And then we need to own that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so, I mean, that's such a parallel to unschooling. Right. And now that, I mean, my son is only six and a half, the questions I'm already getting, you know, all the questions that you get all the time. And, um, my husband was just talking to his mom the other day and she was like, well, how is just the basic, like, how is he going to learn? Right. What, what about reading? How will he, what about exactly? Well, he's, he's not really reading yet. Oh, well, shouldn't he be reading yet? (laughs) Right. And that, that should though, or yeah. 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 And so, you know, for your listeners that are already so connected to questioning the status quo, they're veering off the mainstream when it comes to learning or they're, they're thinking about that, that, you know, those, those ideas are coming in of, is there a different way I could be doing this? Think about food that way too. Is there a different way you can be doing this? Because your nourishment matters, your enjoyment matters, your connection to food is just as much a part of this as anybody else's connection to food. You're not just this grandmaster you know, arranging it for everybody else. And then you're not part of that picture. And your kids, when they see you take the time to set up a plate or pour your cup of tea in a way that feels like sacred and like a ritual and something that is really special. When they see you chopping herbs and doing whatever you're doing in the kitchen, arranging a bowl on the table of seasonal fruits and vegetables, whatever it might be, they're they're tuning into that feeling. It's not so much the words and the rules as it is the feeling around food. And so we have to set it up so that the feeling around food is, is expansive, is connected, is joyful. Yes, exactly. Sacred, beautiful, enjoyable. Yes. Instead of stressful, a chore, hard work, laborious. Yeah. Yes. All of those things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm also realizing, cause I looked at my, holy cow, the time went so fast. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I also, I do also, questions. Yes. Let's do questions. Cause I have a bunch of questions and I kind of just put them together in a few categories cause some overlap. Okay. Um, so I will, yeah, let's, let's address the questions. And then I know we have, we have our rhythms of the day too, to get to as well. Yes. So, so the big one is, and I know really actually you answered these questions as we were speaking, but maybe we can be a bit more pointed in this. So the big one always is picky eaters. Mm-hmm. My child is a picky eater. How can I get them to eat more than three or four things? Great. Okay. So this is one to unpack a little bit. First, we have to ask ourselves, what does picky eater mean? Because Mm -hmm. it's a term that is used all the time. And I think it's worthwhile for each individual to think about what that actually means to them. Typically, it's referring to a child that has a narrow selection of foods that they want to eat. And typically what happens when a parent... So here's something that is extremely common. In the earlier years, let's say like 
baby one, maybe even into three, a child is eating all the things, all the foods, no problem. I have a good eater, quote unquote, right? right? And then they become more hip to like what's going on in the world. They start to develop, they come into their own more. They have stronger preferences about everything in life, how they want to do, what they want to, like what they want to wear, how they want to wear it, just all of these different things. They, uh, it, it, it comes into all areas. And therefore, if they're getting more selective about what they want to eat, it's also an area where they can start to control things because it's their mouths, it's their bodies, right? They can say, no, I don't want that. They can, they can create that boundary for themselves and control something. And then typically what happens is a parent sees that that's happening, starts saying, oh no, I have a picky eater. Right. Because they've heard this term, they've heard other people say it. And then other people will chime in and say, oh yeah, my picky eater too. And you know, what would often happen with my son is that people would comment all the time on what he was eating and say like, wow, I can't believe he's eating that. My kid would never eat that. And it's just this weird thing that we feel like we can comment on what children are eating. And once again, I want to challenge you to think about what would it feel like if someone was always commenting on what you were eating? (laughs) and like, you know, if you've ever dieted, if you've ever, or, or you've had someone say to you like, wow, that's, that's a pretty big portion or like, you know, or that's on your seconds. Really? Right. You're going for seconds or, or like, that's all you're eating. Right. Like let's say you're, it just, it doesn't feel good. So when we, when we talk about what our children are eating and in front of them, and then we label that it doesn't feel good. And this label of picky eaters is is extremely common, right? So it's not that the actual picky eater is, is I think pretty rare, but what happens is that once we label our child as such, and we bring that language in and we live a life according to having a picky eater, what, what then happens is that parents tend to narrow the selection of what they offer. Uh, in response to what the child is, is you know, right. you're seeing that they're no, that they, that they're narrowing their selection of food, that they're having more preferences. And then you're not, you're not creating that invitation. So maybe you're making that one pot meal for the family, but you're then just still giving that small list of foods to the child. Right. And when you, when you switch to how you do food, when it, when food is, is an invitation, and a child can do whatever they want with it, then you will typically see that it expands once again. But the language around it, the tone around it, the fear you have, the stress you have around it is felt from the child. And when we feel that level of tension and stress, we typically like, you know, I'm, I'm clenching my body right now. Like we go in even more, we tighten even more. And that tightening looks like, more rules, stronger preferences, more control, because it doesn't feel good. So you feel like you need to control it more. And so expand this to what it would feel like if someone was labeling you as a certain type of eater. And would you rebel against that more? You know, what, what would, how would you handle that? And that's stick to your guns, (laughs) stick to your guns. Exactly. Stick to it. Like, nope, this is the way I am. And that's it. You'll have to just work with it. 
And, and typically kids will hear their parents refer to them that way. If there's, you know, multiple children, usually it's, it's not usually the case with all the children, right? So there's the child that eats everything. This is my good eater. This is my picky eater. And I'm not saying this, there's, there's no judgment here. This is just like, this is the world we live in. This is what we hear. And we're all here to try to we want our kids to be healthy. We want to nourish them well. We want them to try a lot of foods. We we have all these notions of what that means if our children eat a wide, you know, a wide variety of foods. And so for one, remember your child will be exposed to so many food experiences and eating opportunities in their lives. So just because they have a more narrow selection of foods right now, it doesn't mean that that is always going to be the case the best you can do is create a really inviting environment and keep offering different foods and let them explore those foods in a way that feels good to them. And this, this is, this is not easy. This is like, this is dismantling a lot of like, of these notions. Yeah. Along of a lot of strongly held, long held beliefs. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it is. But that, that's what I see most commonly. Um, when it comes to someone who's defining their kid as a picky eater. Right. Okay. You brought, yeah, you brought up things that I was like, oh yeah, I never even thought about. Right. And, and even when sometimes kids will be on vacation, it's a different environment. And all of a sudden they're yes. eating something that they never would at home. But then as soon as they get home, then it changes back to how they were before. So yeah. oh, that's, that's such a great point. Like what is the invitation when you're out in a new fun environment and how yeah. can you bring in some of that newness even into your home, right? There's, there's a lot of monotony in food. Right. And that also makes it feel like a chore. If it's just the same thing over and over again, it's not fun. Yeah. 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 That's right. Okay. Okay. So many, so many good points. Okay. So, <laughs> so here's another question that comes up as well. Candy and treats. So we have a lot of treats and don't really limit them, but one of my kids is obsessed with treats and he acts like he never gets them. I'm trying to figure that out. Right now we're trying three treats a day, but he's still always after more. Okay. So for one, I would be curious, like what are, what are treats? Mm, and question. Um, I wouldn't that, even think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That means different things to different people. Right. So um, sometimes treats are crackers for some people. Right. Sometimes it's full on. It's it's candy. It's gummy bears. It's, you know, and anywhere in between cookies. So treats are great. It's nice to have them in the home. Um, a few things. One, I would recommend not having so many all the time. So if it's, if they're there, like, let's say there's, um, I I do something that called the snack hack. The snack hack is like the way we do snacks in our families and anybody can just can go to my website and it'll get emailed to you. But the snack hack is the way that we arrange, like in, whether it's a pantry or a drawer or wherever the the snacks are that, which I basically like the non-perishable foods, anything that's not in the refrigerator is in that pantry area. Okay. And the idea here is that you have a lot of different foods and in the mix there would be something that you might consider a treat, something that's more desserty, sweet, whatever that might be. And so there's a, there will be a jar of, there's a jar of almonds, there's a jar of turkey jerky, there's a jar of other nuts and seeds and you know different things. And then there's also a jar of cookies or some chocolate or whatever that might be. And it's just there. It's it's an it's an invitation like anything else is an invitation. 
And I walk through this whole this whole process of how you set this up and, and why in the snack hack. But if it's just one of the things that's available and there isn't a specific rule about how it goes, then it takes the pressure off. So let's say this child who loves treats and snacks or whatever this might be, um, sweets, eats all of those things, then they're, then they're done. And if there's always just an unlimited supply of that, then that can be a lot to handle. That can be a lot for a child to take on. And when you, and this is all like a collaborative experience. So children will start to learn like the, the cadence, the rhythm, the schedule on which like new food comes in the house. We do Thrive Market for delivery of non-perishable foods. That's like all of our snacks, jarred foods, pastas, like all of that. And we just got our delivery yesterday. In the past couple of days, my son's been asking for certain things that I just said, well, our Thrive order hasn't come yet. Our Thrive order is coming in a couple of days. And so he knows when the Thrive order comes and then he knows that we, we unpack those things and we put them in the drawer together and he can be part of that experience. That process, and he also right? knows, what'd you say? Part of the process, right? I'm just, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, it's part, it's exactly. And so he also knows that if he, and you know, we get these great chocolate chip cookies from there. We have like, it's it's, it's on auto ship and it's, you know, I tweak it a little bit, but this is, that's a way to make, food easier is definitely get food on auto ship or have your set list of things. Um, but when the cookies are done, the cookies are done. And that's like a lot of things in life. Um, and that's not to, that's not to bring in like scarcity and lack and, you know, those kinds of things around food. It's not, it's not a heavy message. It's just, okay, well, I got, you know, they're all gone we ate them all. It's all done. And we are going to get them on such and such. And, and that's it. And, and let it just be okay. Let that not be like a heavy message. Let that just be okay. That that's just part of the process of how things come in and out of the house, but having the rule around three treats for most kids, like I, you know, there's, there's more to talk about you with this individual parent, but it usually will lead to wanting more. There won't ever be, there won't be that enough. It's like screens, I think for a lot of kids and you have to know your specific kid. But what I think is the case with most kids is that when we say it's only this amount, it's not enough. Yeah, absolutely. But when we let it just be, and it's an open invitation, okay, well, I could, I could watch story bots right now, or I could play with magnetiles, or I could do both at the same time, or I can, you know, like, it's just, there's a lot more freedom. Right. Right. Um, and then there's city is gone. I get that. It's like, well, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to get it again. So I need to get as much in as I possibly can before yes. it's taken away. Right. And that can tend to also, you know, it's, it's important to watch for like kind of hoarding behaviors and what that might look like. And I don't say that again in a scary way. I actually did a whole Instagram story the other day about how my son hides food, but be, but that's also because he hides a lot of things. It's really funny for him to just hide things in different things that he builds and around the house. So I'll find like a pile of cashews hidden somewhere. And he just, <laughs> he just thinks it's really funny, you know, and I know, and I don't have to worry about it because I don't think that he's hoarding cashews because he doesn't think he's going to get enough cashews. I know that he's, hiding them because he thinks that's funny. 
And he just forgot that he put the cashews where he put them. And, you know, so it's, it's you, this is where you have to observe your child. If you all, you know, and if, are there other things that go on when it comes to sugar and sweet foods? Sometimes that can be, there can be some like gut microbiome, you know, imbalance. There's a lot of things that that lead to cravings for sugar. So that's another topic, but it, you know, there's just to observe and to question if there's something more serious here, or if you can just like release the grip a little bit and see how that plays out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then that would be a whole other conversation as well. If there's some nutrients or biomes, like you said, that they yeah. are craving or that their body is saying, I need this, and this is going to satisfy exactly. that need for that moment. Okay. And it might be, it might be like a quick, a quick energy fix, right? Sugary foods are going to give us that right. glucose punch right away. It's going to spike our blood sugar. Are they, are they otherwise not eating enough throughout the day? Are they getting enough protein? Are they getting enough of these, uh, you know, all the macro and micronutrients or are they going to that as like a quick hit, a quick fix, which adults do the exact same thing, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll yeah. go hours without eating and then we'll eat something really sweet because we know that our bodies are telling us like, no, give me that quick hit. So there's, you know, there's nutritional pieces, there's behavioral pieces, there's potentially like gut stuff going on. There's a lot to look at, but the, the first part I would is pull back a little bit, release the grip a little and see how that plays out. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. So then the next question is because this right now we're recording, it's before Halloween and here in North America and some other places, I know not everywhere in the world where my listeners are, but um, for many of the listeners, and these are the questions that I've, is around Halloween. My, you know, my child is going trick-or-treating and they come home with a pillowcase full of candy. Should I limit the candy and spread it out over time? Should I let them gorge themselves? What is, uh, you know, what is acceptable, quote unquote, what's the shoulds <laughs> around yeah. Halloween candy? This again comes back to you have, you know, knowing your own kids. What have you seen in your children when they eat a lot of sugar all at once? And what would it look like for them to experience something that may be uncomfortable in their bodies, mm. right? And trusting it, it, again, right? <laughs> yeah, it's trusting and letting their body give them that information. We don't learn. This is another huge piece as adults, right? We don't learn the messages from our bodies unless we get to experience them. We can't learn them by someone telling us, you're not going to feel good if you eat sugar. If you eat all that candy, you're not going to feel good. If you eat all that candy, I mean, for so many parents, it's just the fear that their kids aren't going to sleep because we just want them to go to bed, right? Right. So, um, you know, you go trick-or-treating in the evening, then you're going to be up all night. You're going to be, you're going to feel awful tomorrow. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have to check those things and to imagine what would it be like for our children to experience getting a really bad belly ache, to experience feeling like they can't fall asleep and they're really wired, you know, and, and then to be able to talk about that gently and in a supportive and loving way. Oh, I see that you're having a really hard time. I see that your stomach's really hurting. Why do you think you have a stomach ache? What do you think? You know, like, and just to be able to like get their own body awareness right? Like they they have to be able to experience things to then know how to make a decision next time. And they might make that decision 10 times until it really sinks in, right? We, We do the same thing as adults. So my take on it is let the kids enjoy it. And typically it's pretty short lived. And you can have the thing where you donate, you know, there's all these other things where you, you donate it to somewhere else. I don't really, 
I don't know. I don't necessarily believe that we need to like donate candy to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I know that that's a thing. And I don't, I, I know that like dentists office collected, I don't know where they're okay. then taking okay. the candy, but, um, you know, and you can also have a conversation around it before trick or treating. Like, what do you love? What do you, what are you most looking forward to getting? And to be able to even bring in some of that discernment in the trick-or-treating, right? The the message around trick-or-treating is like, get all the candy, you know, fill up that (laughs) pillowcase, fill up that basket, like as much candy as you possibly could get. But if there isn't, you know, it's looking also at the home, right? If, if the place where they just can gorge on candy is Halloween, but they don't ever get other sweet things otherwise, then we are creating a big, you know, that pendulum is going to swing a lot and it's going to be extreme for them. Right. So what is the message like in the home? It may not be all that big of a deal and maybe they'll eat a bunch and they'll get a stomach ache. Maybe they'll be wired and it's an opportunity for conversation. I, there is no one right answer here. And I know that, you know, there's people out there that will say, do it this way. And that's going to be the best thing for your kids. But I think you have to trust what feels good to you. Trust what you can imagine is going to be ideal for your child and trust that you can create an invitation to learn from any of the experiences that come. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, and then, then I have a question that comes up as you're talking about, I'm just curious, how do you, like, do you, um, cause I know some families that when it comes to Halloween candy, what they purchase to give out or what they have to give out, um, they might have some beliefs around that. So they mm-hmm. may give out, um, packages of dried fruit instead of, you know, a certain kind of chocolate that's popular or, you yep. know, things like that. How do you do that in your home? If you celebrate are, Halloween too. Yeah, we are actually not a huge Halloween family. Um, and we typically go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So um, I have put, you know, I'll, I'll typically put like a bowl of candy out. We are also, my son, I think this year will probably be the first year that he like stays up and does the whole thing. He has in the, like, he's only six. So he's tended to go to bed earlier. And I don't want someone ringing my bell every two minutes while we're right. putting, while we're putting him to bed. So I've just left a bowl of, Um, I have just done kind of like the more quote unquote natural stuff, you know, like what you get from the health food store or something like that. I mean, those baskets of like the Snickers and all the, all the candy that is the most common, the Snickers, the Twix, the whatever, all the Hershey's things that gets kind of boring. So it is fun to put out something different. And it's also, it doesn't have to be candy. It does. You can put out, you can put out little toys, little games. You can put out, um, a fun straw. Yeah. It it can be, yeah, yeah, it can be anything. And, and then it's fun because it's also variety for the kids, right? It's not that fun to come back with like 10 of the same thing over and over again. So, um, yeah, I think in putting stuff out, you can think differently, trust that plenty of people will put out the typical candy so you can do something different. And I just remember my son, I think it was the, it was when he was three and we went trick-or-treating and he had, he got, um, a Tootsie roll and he just stood there chewing it for like <laughs> 10 minutes. And he was like, mama, it's not going anywhere. It's still in my mouth. And it's just, it's so funny to that, you know, see those early experiences of different yeah. textures and different flavors. And it's just, you know, I, I think that I don't, it's one night and I don't think it has to, I think we can let it evolve in whatever way feels comfortable. And then you have, you know, what do you do with the leftover candy, whether it's the candy that you put out or the stuff that you put out in the bowl or what everybody else is, you know, 
and and it's 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 a nice opportunity too for talking about waste for talking about yes it is minimal you know manufacturing of it and where yeah. it comes from and yeah yeah yes there's there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity there to lean into it beyond just the conversation of the candy and when you do that you you also just naturally take the pressure off of the feeling of the candy so it's just many different things. It's an experience of being with friends. It's seeing different houses, walking through a neighborhood, wearing a costume. You know, there's so much more to it than just the candy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting too, because as for me, my experience as a kid, we never celebrated Halloween in my family. Mm -hmm. So, and we do in our family as, you know, as a parent and with our kids. Um, so coming into that holiday was very different for me having kids because yeah. it was totally new. And it was and some of those things that I didn't even really think about, like when we first ever took our kids trick-or-treating and I remember seeing, you know, cause I, you know, we, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know. So I didn't know conversations around it either. Right. Because it was new. And I remember my daughter who's the youngest and I remember her face when she put it together and realized like, I'm going to people's homes in our neighborhood and they're giving me right. <laughs> like it was like, you know, the, the, you know, when it kind of comes, like it locked in her brain, like, right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Right. Like, holy cow. Yep. This is just like my, you know, that kind of thing. And <laughs> the head explosion totally. emoji. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I remember thinking, yeah, like as a young person, <laughs> that would be like this revelation, like, holy cow, what right. is going on here? And then people's houses, we don't ever go to, but this right, one that's the night you just we're walk going up to these houses. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then some neighborhoods, you know. And then we, you know, as as we learned as we go along the years, and you know, sometimes we would have it with one of a certain family members. We would kind of it became uh, when we lived in the our other city, uh, we would do it together, kind of thing. And we would go to this one neighborhood that went all out, and every house was like fully decorated, and you know, and people parents were giving out drinks to the other parents, you know, things wow. like that, right? So. It's a party. It's a party. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, there it's, it's interesting. I remember it, for me, it was very interesting. The things I had never even thought of because I just didn't know. And yeah, the other conversations that go along with it and, and the perspective of, oh yeah, like, okay, this is, usually we can go and knock on people's homes and, and get candy. Usually we, we don't even go to this person's house otherwise, but it's Halloween true. we do. So yeah. 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 There's so many interesting conversations around it mm -hmm. for sure. Okay. So I know we, I've well over the time. I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much. I, I mean, there's just so much <laughs> to that I'm just thinking about and that I know my audience is going to love. And I'm just so grateful that you joined me today. So Dina, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. This thank was you. so lovely. Uh, it was thank fantastic so for me. Thank you. Uh, I would love it if you could share where we can connect with you and find you. I know some of what you were talking about. I know you have some great Instagram reels that you have done as well. And some <laughs> of the things you've taught, I love them. I recommend going to Dina's Instagram page as well and checking them out. Thank you. So if you can share, I know you have some pro, like you offer a lot. So if you you can tell us what's coming up and where we can find you and learn more about you. That would be fantastic. And I will put those in the show notes as well. So if you're listening, you can go to the show notes and just click on there if you want it to be easy and you can be directed to Dina. But if you can let us know now as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, so on social media, it's just Instagram. So Dina Barcella at Instagram. And then 
Um, my website is dinabarcella.com. And that's where you can go and you can get the snack hack, which is that system that I was telling you about how to do snacks in the home, how to talk about them, how to set them up, everything from buying them to unpacking them, to putting them away, having it be a collaborative and really connected experience. And there are many goals here, but one of them is to take some of it off of you so that you're not always like mama, you know, mom, can I have a snack or dad, can I have a snack and needing to provide those snacks in those moments. So having it be an open invitation and how to set that up. So that's the snack hack and you can go grab that. And I do have my workshop, the joyful family meal is going to be re it's, it's redone. It's new and improved. It's based on so many wonderful questions and feedback I've gotten over the months in working with families. And so that is just a workshop that you can get delivered right to your email. And it has a nice guide that goes along with it. And it's a lot of the stuff we talked about here today, but going deeper in that and helping set up meal time so that it feels really connected and joyful for you and for your family. And then some other fun workshops coming, but you'll, you'll hear about those on Instagram and over email and all that good stuff. Awesome. That's um, so fantastic. So go to Dina's, so it's D-E-E-N-A is how you spell Dina. So everyone knows and, and, and B-A-R-S-E-L-A-H. Exactly. And for anybody who wants to go deeper into this, um, one-on-one coaching is just a wonderful opportunity for that to really get into the details, the minutia, the everything about that is unique to your family that we can really take a look at and create a rhythm and a system for food in your family in this season that works really well for you without having to constantly, you know, reinvent the wheel. Right. Right. Yeah. I recommend that the direct support as well in the conversation. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dina. It was a wonderful conversation and I'm looking forward to connecting again. And I encourage everyone to find Dina and work with her and learn more. So it's, yeah, it was so good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robin.